Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to take a look at a very interesting adventure that a good friend of mine has had as a <laughs> former Peace Corps director and a former member of the Peace Corps, as well as being a, a, well, a, an official in the USAID operation. My guest today is Mr. Aaron Williams. Aaron Williams is an international development expert and a former diplomat. He served as the 18th director of the United States Peace Corps from 2009 to 2012 under President Barack Obama. Previously, he held several major positions with USAID, the US Agency for International Development. Aaron Williams, welcome to today's Global Connections program. It's always good to see you, Bill, and thank you for having me on the program. Real pleasure. My, my pleasure. I'm delighted we can visit. We'll have to visit in person one of these days. But full disclosure, <laughs> you and I were in the Peace Corps together, I'm going to say about 100 years ago, something like that, in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> so. But anyway, let's jump right into your book, right. a wonderful book you just wrote. It's called Life Unimagined, The Rewards of Mission-Driven Service in the Peace Corps and Beyond. Why did you decide to write this book? Well, thank you, Bill. Uh, I had two goals in mind, Bill, in writing the book. First, I wanted to inspire young students to consider a career in global affairs, especially minorities, people of color, who are still un underrepresented in our foreign affairs agencies and in international development organizations overall. And then second, and this is really important to me personally, I wanted to leave a legacy document for my five grandsons, a book about our family and my career seen through my eyes and in my own words. Well, you've, you've had a remarkable career, and it's certainly one that's really worth documenting. Now, as I recall, you grew up in the inner city of Chicago, maybe on the south side of Chicago. How did that play into your interest in international relations and also perhaps going into the Peace Corps later? Well, I did. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, Bill, actually not very far from where Michelle Robinson Obama grew up, right? Although I'm quite I'm much older than, uh, than the former first lady. But I grew up in a working class neighborhood in Chicago. My father was from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. He was a World War II veteran who fought in the Pacific. And after the war, he moved to, to Chicago to find better opportunities. And he met my mother. Uh, my father worked at the downtown major post office in Chicago for some 30 years. My mother had a, a variety of jobs, dental assistant and manager dry cleaners. So I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And my role models at the time were teachers. And I was planning to become a high school teacher. And that got you moving, and that got you going in the in the direction of international relations. Well, great. Well, you were, as I mentioned, you and I were in the Peace Corps together. In fact, we were at the University of Madre Maestra for well over a year, I guess, at the mm -hmm. same time. Right. But uh, as, as we look back on the Peace Corps, we think about J President John F. Kennedy. He established the Peace Corps in 1961. Today, there are over 240,000 what we call returned Peace Corps volunteers, Americans who have served overseas. Currently, there are about, I guess, about 7,400 volunteers who will be going back to their countries after this COVID bout that we've been dealing with, and will be serving in over 60 countries. What, what, are the, what are the three main goals of the Peace Corps? 
Well, Bill, in, uh, in, in real encapsulated form, I think, number one, the first goal is to build local capacity in the countries where we serve by working on priority projects. Second, I think to share the true face of America with the world. And then three, bringing back this rich experience and bringing it back home as these newly minted world citizens and sharing this in their community. Because as you well know, it's nothing more important for Americans than to become good global citizens in the world. That's for certain, and we certainly need more of it today than at any time probably in our history. Now, as I mentioned, you were the director of the Peace Corps from 2009 to 2012. What were some of the most memorable moments that you had as Peace Corps director? Ah, well, so many. Well, let, let I can me, imagine. So many. Was such a, first of all, as you can imagine, what a capstone in my career, serving as a Peace Corps volunteer with you in the Dominican Republic. And then full circle, working in the Obama administration, having the privilege of working in the Obama administration, and then to serve as Peace Corps director. And also, let me just say, Bill, I found when I got back to the Peace Corps as director that Peace Corps continues to be a marvelous place for a young person to develop leadership skills at a very early age that will hold you in good stead for the rest of your life. So I think some of the things that were most memorable, I think some of our major accomplishments for me and my team at Peace Corps is that, number one, we put together a comprehensive assessment at the Peace Corps that would lay the groundwork, a blueprint, if you will, for a substantial budget increase. And we had strong bipartisan support for this, right? Something that, again, in this day and age, we need to have see more of in the United States and government. And in essence, with this blueprint, we set the stage for the expansion and modernization of the Peace Corps. It resulted in five new country programs. We offered hundreds of young Americans the opportunity to serve around the world. The new country programs included Colombia, Nepal, Sierra Leone, Indonesia, and Tunisia, which were all early uh, Peace Corps legacy countries. Then, of course, Bill, on my, during my tenure, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Peace Corps, right? We provided a platform for America and the world to join us in celebrating 50 years of promoting world peace and friendship. And together, our senior staff, we traveled to 15 countries and some 20 states in America to celebrate this 50th anniversary. It was really amazing to see the outpouring of love and friendship and appreciation and respect for the Peace Corps in its 50 years of service. And I might add, Bill, that as you know, this is all, this year we're celebrating the 60th anniversary of the Peace Corps, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that I think was really monumental is that we created new partnerships for Peace Corps with other, pro other parts of the foreign affairs, with other parts of the foreign affairs agencies, such as the President's PEPFAR plan for AIDS relief, the President's malaria initiative, uh, Feed the Future, all of these were important programs which gave Peace Corps volunteers the opportunity to combat AIDS and malaria epidemics and also reduce hunger among mothers and children in towns and villages around the world. So I'm really, really proud of the things that we accomplished there. And we also built the one last thing I want to mention to you. We also created a new type of volunteer to combat the brain drain of healthcare professionals in Africa. We joined forces with Dr. Eric Goosby, head of PEPFAR at the time, to create a new unique public-private partnership. We sent experienced American doctors, nurses, and midwives to serve as faculty in medical and nursing schools across Sub-Saharan Africa. This was the brainchild of a visionary young doctor, Dr. Vanessa Bradford Carey, who's the co-founder and CEO of this organization that is now called C Global Health. So I was really proud that we were able to do that. And overall, I guess the bottom line is that I like to feel that 
that my team and I, we left Peace Corps as a stronger, more resilient and modern organization. Aaron, those are remarkable accomplishments. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You come right down to it. Uh, every volunteer I've talked with, first off, will say Peace Corps changed his or her life. I know it changed your life. It changed my life. And most volunteers were happy with their service. A lot of us felt like we actually got more out of it than we really contributed to the host country, but that's another story. But I'm wondering, so many people today ask, is the Peace Corps still alive? The Peace Corps has been functioning well now. It's had ups and downs, valleys and peaks over the last 60 years. But what can the media do to help shine the spotlight on the remarkable accomplishments and challenges to Peace Corps and Peace Corps volunteers? Well, I think, first of all, as you say, the Peace Corps is alive and well. Peace Corps is resilient. They'll get through this COVID pandemic. I mean, countries still, is my understanding, that many more countries want Peace Corps volunteers to serve. There's also been a virtual Peace Corps uh, continued service in many of the countries after the volunteers were evacuated because of COVID. So I'm, I'm sure that Peace Corps will remain strong. There's popular demand in the countries around the world for Peace Corps volunteers. We have a strong Peace Corps alumni you say some you know, 200,000 plus Americans have served in the Peace Corps. And so it's going to continue to receive also, and this is really important, bipartisan support. The other thing I would say is that, as you, as you know, Bill, I am a strong advocate for national service. I believe that every young person in America should have the opportunity to serve in either the military or, or national service or in public service, such as you and I did in the Peace Corps. And now we're fortunate that in America, that we have now, a blueprint for such a national initiative. You might have heard about the report of the National Commission on Military, National, and Public Service. They, they worked on this report from 2017 to 2019. Many of the members of the commission include former senior officials in previous administrations and individuals who are now, in fact, senior officials in the Biden administration. So I would hope that this would become a new initiative for the, for the Biden administration to support national service. What I'd love to see the Peace Corps achieve in the future is I'd love to see the Peace Corps triple in size to a level of about 30,000 volunteers per year and have a budget that would be somewhere around a billion dollars plus. That would give us a robust uh, ability to really serve around the world and give more Americans a chance to serve. So in this era of trillion dollar budgets, I would think that a billion, billion would not be unreasonable. It sounds very, very reasonable, and it would make a tremendous difference. And the, generally speaking, in the countries where Peace Corps volunteers are, the people love the Peace Corps volunteers. It doesn't matter what's going on domestically in the United States, but they have a one-to-one -one relationship, and it's well worth the investment. They do. As a matter of fact, Bill, let me just point out, Bill, that in yes. August of this year, uh, I wrote a joint op-ed with Barbara Stewart, the former head of the National Corporation for Public Service. It was published in The Hill. And uh, it was our call to the president as we celebrate these 60 years of these two organizations, Peace Corps and the National Corporation, to look for ways to inspire and give opportunities to a new generation of young Americans who are waiting in the wings to serve our country. So let's hope that this will resonate uh, in the administration and also within the Congress. We certainly hope it will, and everyone should try to do what they can to help it resonate. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or community access television station, or perhaps you have a podcast, 
or you're involved with an educational institution that has an internal campus television hookup, or you just have a computer, you like our shows and you'd like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided free of charge to help people all around the world and in the United States better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at a very unique experience that a good friend and colleague of mine had as he worked in the United States Peace Corps and for USAID. Aaron Williams is an international development expert and a former diplomat. He served as the 18th director of the Peace Corps from 2009 to 2012 under President Barack Obama. Previously, he held several major positions with the U.S. Agency for International Development, commonly called USAID. Aaron, before we run out of time, we better shift gears from the Peace Corps to USAID. You were the mission director for AID South Africa during the administration of President Nelson Mandela. Uh, Mandela is an icon. I mean, the man is revered at the United Nations and uh, just about all around the world. But can you tell us a bit about what it was like to work with him and how did he address some really, really sensitive and difficult issues like hatred, social divisions, and political polarization, issues that we're seeing right now in our own country and many countries around the world? Uh, Bill, it was an honor and a privilege to serve uh, during the time that Nelson Mandela was president of South Africa. This was during the Clinton administration in the United States. Nelson Mandela, as you said, was an iconic leader. And I have to tell you that in real life, he was everything that you read about or have observed in the media coverage of him. I mean, how can you define a man who comes out of 27 years of prison, incarcerated because he was a freedom fighter and came out and he was determined to, that he would emerge from that ordeal with no anger, no animosity, but instead, instead focus on the democratic transformation of a country and determined to create a society that would offer a better life for all South Africans, no matter what race, color, ethnic group, or religion you were. And I had the privilege of meeting him in various encounters, both in official meetings and in more relaxed personal situations also. One of my favorite uh, Mandela quotes, Bill, if, you, if you'll allow me, is that it said, he said one time, as I walked out the door toward my freedom, I knew that if I did not leave all the anger hatred and bitterness behind, I would still be in prison. And he certainly personified that in how he led that country bill. He certainly did. And it's just a remarkable life. And to put all of that behind him, or at least not deal with it and not bring it out in the public, but to try to reconcile. And they set up the Truth Reconciliation Commissions, as I recall, in South Africa, which helped to deal with that. What were That's some right. of the major what were some of the major activities that you were involved with the Mandela administration on with USAID? Well, we were involved in supporting along with other major donor nations such as the British and the United Nations and the World Bank, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And so I had a chance to travel around the country and, and actually view firsthand some of those uh, hearings of the Truth and Reconciliation. And you have to remember that we had in that same country at the same time, two Nobel laureates, right? Uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who led the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and Nelson Mandela, who supported it. And one of the really amazing things about this is that one of the things that uh, Archbishop Tutu insisted on was that there would be a fair and balanced representation of all the, uh, the incidents and terrible events that took place during apartheid, and that all sides would have to report on what they, on the acts that they committed. And that was something that Nelson Mandela and the ANC supported. And that, was, that really set the standard 
and became the gold standard, if you will, for other types of truth and reconciliation uh, uh, campaigns and commissions around the world. It was really quite remarkable. Also, I was there when there was a special initiative called Kick Polio Out of Africa that was co-chaired by Nelson Mandela and was co-funded by USAID, the International Rotary and the W and the World Health Organization. And Mandela was the honorary chair. And I had a chance to see him in action as he led that, that group trying to fight and, and to identify and eradicate the last pockets of polio in Africa. And every day he did something that was extraordinary that really focused on his belief and his mission to try to transform that country in, the mo in this amazing, momentous democratic transformation. I'm glad you brought up all of these issues, especially the one on polio, because that's one that's near and dear to my heart. And of course, we think back to 1987, Rotary International really, well, they launched it a few years, years earlier, but they mm -hmm. launched the Polio Plus program to eliminate polio around the world. They brought in the United Nations Children's Fund. They brought in the UN World Health Organization mm -hmm. and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control. And today, that is a major program. It's just on the cusp yeah. of eliminating polio. And these are problems that still exist out there, but something we're not aware that they're out there and we don't really think about them, but we really need to do that. But yeah. that, that's a remarkable- I agree, Bill. We can't, we can't take our eye off the ball despite the global pandemic in terms of COVID. We still need to focus on things that we actually have a chance of eradicating, such as polio. Exactly. And there are so many negative side effects, even with the COVID, that will affect people or affect us. Well, it, as right. you look, as we look at the Foreign Service, we look at the Peace Corps, we look at USAID, there, it, it really seems that there's, there's need for more of a representation of what America really looks like, more diversity, more inclusion. What would you recommend as far as expanding that, first off, expanding the operation, because there's so much good that they can do in the world, but also to bring in other groups, ethnic groups who perhaps have not participated as much as we would like, or they should perhaps. Well, I think, you know, Bill, uh, early, early this year, I testified before the House Foreign Affairs Committee in a panel discussion on diversity in the foreign affairs agency. So I'll just share a couple of thoughts that I that I, that I left with the committee members and, and my fellow panelists. So based on my experience, and it also is widely articulated by diversity experts around the country, it's important if you wanna promote diversity within organizations and foreign affairs agencies, we have to focus on at least three areas. One is that we have to understand, gain an understanding of diverse groups in our country and how we can reach them. We have to create mentoring and sponsorship programs in each organization. And also we have to create a pipeline of candidates in order to provide opportunities for growth and promotion. If we continue to focus on those areas and working with the senior leadership team in each organization, I think we can make a difference because as you know, it's important that the American Foreign Affairs Agency represents the diversity and true face of America around the world. This is important. It makes us stronger uh, as a nation in conducting our foreign policy. And I know that the Biden administration is working very diligently to pursue these objectives. Mm -hmm. And these is very important that we do. It's extremely, extremely important. Well, Aaron, you, you have, there's so much in your book that we'll never be able to get to today. But as I recall in a previous conversation, I think you said there were five tips on how to be a successful executive. Is that correct? Do, well, I, I, have, I, have, I have a few thoughts on that, Bill, given my okay, experience please. in leading organizations. I'll be happy to share some of those things with you. I think uh, 
what I've kind of lessons that I've learned in terms of leading organizations and, and through my work in the three sectors where I work, business, government, and the nonprofit world, I think one of the things that's really important is that we grow by challenging ourselves, right? By stepping out of our comfort zone. And I believe that in a career, once you take calculated risk, because tremendous personal growth and resilience will come from such an effort. I certainly have tried to be a risk taker uh, throughout my career. The other thing is that important, and you know this bill as well as I do, is that we need to build positive relationships wherever we work, right? And whether that's in the realm of politics or diplomacy or business, real change comes through when you achieve it by building relationships with people, very real personal interaction between people. And then the third I've already touched on, but I'll reiterate that again, is that I have always believed that America's multiracial, multi-ethnic diversity is one of our great strengths. And so I believe it's crucial that we seek ways to pursue diversity across all organizations in all of our sectors. The other thing is that I've always strived personally to be a servant leader, a person who's an effective communicator, a listener, and a delegator as I, as I move forward in managing and leading different types of organizations. And then let me close with one really important, important aspect, I think, of leadership and something that I learned by reading uh, about Bob Gates, who of course, as you know, is one of America's most distinguished leaders over the past three decades, including being Secretary of Defense, head of the CIA, president of Texas A&M and the Boy Scouts. And I thought, I thought that he provided a very valuable lesson in his book, A Passion for Leadership. So what he said is that if you are a person who has not experienced failure in your career as a leader, then your education is incomplete. And I thought that was very profound. So I've always told young people when I've talked to them about leadership is that embrace failure because that's going to make you stronger. Certainly in my career, when I had a major career, what I thought was going to be a major career setback, it opened the door to the most important assignment in my foreign service career. When one door closes, another door opens. Yes. Right. Well, Aaron, you quoted Bob Gates's Book, do you have any quotes from your book that you'd like to share in the last 30 seconds or so? I would, Bill, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. This is something I wanted to say that I thought would be uh, helpful to your, your viewers. And that is in terms of looking, looking, at, looking at service overall. And this is a passage in my book. It's often been said that Peace Corps volunteers represent the best America has to offer. They live and work in host communities thousands of miles away from family and friends and they are driven by their common desire to make a sustainable difference. Our volunteers are grassroots ambassadors for the United States. They represent America's values, generosity, and hope. This is the history and framework that one inherits as a director of the Peace Corps. I've always regarded it as a position of sacred trust, and it was a privilege to serve in this position in the Obama administration. There is truly no higher calling than to serve our great nation." End of my quote. Thank you, Bill. Aaron, the Peace Corps has had many slogans over the years. One that I really liked was the toughest job you'll ever love. That's and it certainly was. I remember you, could, you and I could recount, quote, war <laughs> stories, unquote, ad infinitum, I'm sure, or ad nauseum, whichever it may be. But yeah. I, I remember the first year I was in the Dominican Republic, and I lived in a little shack out in the rural area. No electricity, no running water, outdoor toilet, if you want to call it that. I'm not sure I would even call it that. And slept on a cot. And the only thing ran, running in my 
little shack were the rats over the ceiling. And that was <laughs> it. <laughs> but it was a unique experience. I remember a few days like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we all could, but it, it's just remarkable. But I want to thank you and congratulate you also on this wonderful book that you've written, A Life Unimagined, The Rewards of Mission-Driven Service in the Peace Corps and Beyond. But Aaron Williams, thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you, Bill. It's a real pleasure to see you again. Always good to be with you. And congratulations on the fine work you're doing to make uh, open up the rest of the world to Americans. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Okay. Goodbye. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television. Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives.